0: Hello, folks. Welcome to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, the founder and CEO of Whoop, and we are on a mission to unlock human performance. That's right. We build technology across hardware and software and analytics that's designed to help you improve your health, improve your performance. If you are unfamiliar with a Whoop membership or not a current Whoop member, you can use the code Will Ahmed, W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, for 15% off your Whoop membership. Happy Veterans Day. I have to say it is a great privilege and honor that WHOOP serves so many uh, members of the armed services. We've gotten to know a huge number of veterans through their use of WHOOP. We obviously have worked with uh, a number of different pockets of the military. And for anyone listening, I just want to say thank you for your service. This week's episode focuses on the future of technology and healthcare and how hospitals and medical organizations can optimize performance in the operating room, the ICU, and beyond. VP of Performance, Kristen Holmes, sits down with Arena Labs founder and CEO, Brian Ferguson. Arena Labs is a cutting-edge organization that is pioneering the field of high-performance medicine. It was born out of Brian's experience in the military. He served in the Navy, Special Operations, and the Pentagon and is now using that experience to improve modern day healthcare. And thank you to Brian for his service. Brian and Kristen talk about the importance of creating high performing teams in the world of medicine, the burnout so many doctors and nurses experience and why that sets a dangerous precedent in the field, the effect of COVID-19 on doctors, nurses, and frontline staff, why military personnel and healthcare workers are cut from the same cloth, and the future of robotics in medicine. I think it's a great podcast and without further ado here are Brian and Kristen.
1: It is my pleasure to introduce Brian Ferguson, founder and CEO of Arena Labs. Brian has spent his career in high performance organizations as a leader in special operation forces, technology innovation, national security and medicine. In this podcast we will dig into the evolution of high performance medicine and why it is so critical to the future of healthcare. How a multidisciplinary lens can inform the modern operating room. The Whoop Arena intersection. And finally, hybrid teams, humans and robots. Brian, welcome. Thank you. You know, you kinda of start out in, in special operations and then, you know, you're the founder of Arena Labs and CEO. Just give us maybe some background on on how you go from special operations to founding Arena Labs.
2: So the first part of my career, actually, even even prior to Being in the military, I I was fortunate, and really the first kind of 15 years of my career were in in the broader national security ecosystem. I started off kind of on on what's known as the policy side, so not actually in uniform, but wearing a suit and a tie. Uh, And I think the reason that's relevant is there's two things that were happening in the world. This is right after 9 11, so the I, I saw how a large government organization like the Pentagon or the White House was thinking about decisions of magnitude at scale in a world full of information. Uh, and I was learning an extraordinary amount. And, and at the same time, there were these amazing leaders in the military that were rising to these positions that I was learning from. Um, and at that time, I then, you know, later in life, I joined the military and it, you know, I, I had a relatively short career. Um, I was in for seven years, and just an extraordinary—you know—the the, the type of people I was around, the pedigree of thinker, and, and just uh, individuals who were going after hard problems was uh, beyond energizing. And as I started to look beyond that chapter, uh, I knew I wanted to work on something that had the same level of meaning. And I often say, you know, now that we're—I grew up in healthcare. My mom was a nurse, and. I often say that when you look at people, the archetype of, of individual who goes into the military, particularly in the special operations community, they're individuals who want to do hard things. They want to save lives and impact the world. And as it turns out, that's really the the same archetype you see in most of medicine. So there was a natural gravitation there for me when I left. military. In fact, right as I was leaving, I had the privilege of, when when you decide to get out of the military, you have about a one-year glide slope where you're really transitioning uh, into that civilian life. And because I had been a civilian already, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I was really working hard to use that year productively. And I was working in, in an innovation cell that was trying to understand how we would bring emerging technology into the particular part of special operations where I was serving. And, and it, through that, I was collaborating with a whole bunch of unlikely partners. And I ended up, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally, and I ended up at the Cleveland Clinic Heart and Vascular Institute. Um, I had actually reached out blindly to this heart surgeon named Doug Johnston. And so he invited me over for breakfast. And I was curious to understand how is how are heart surgery teams thinking about the evolution of technology in a very high stakes environment, it it, it turns out cardiac surgery is very similar to special operations. You have a small team of eight to 12 people working in a time compressed high stakes environment. And so Doug brings me into not only we have this conversation, he says, why don't you come join me and, and watch a couple procedures. And so I watch him, I think do at the time, two different heart surgeries. And on one hand, I was really impressed with the technological advancement of just modern medicine, but I always say, on the other hand, I was astounded that there was no conversation at the individual or the team level about performance and and what is it that, you know, how do you navigate stress and pressure both individually and as a team? Uh, And so that, that, I guess, intrigue is really what led me on the odyssey to eventually found arena labs and uh, how you and I eventually intersected.
1: There are a lot of challenges uh, inherent to incorporating kind of this high performance mindset in in medicine. And so it, maybe as a start, we you can describe just the current state of, of healthcare and then kind of give us a, a roadmap into how do we transform or, or, you know, what can we do to really help this become a more productive kind of high performing outfit?
2: Healthcare is just it's an incredibly complex institution. And, and there's there's obviously the hospital side and then there's the insurer side. and it gets, I always say that uh, what I remember when I was in, working in the Pentagon, my boss told me that uh, it's, there's about a two year learning curve to really understand the Pentagon. And at the time, and, and he was very, it was very accurate. But I also, at the time, I believe that it was the most complex institution in the world, the the U.S. national security architecture, meaning defense and intelligence and and diplomacy. Uh, I've since have evolved on that thinking, and I I really have come to believe that that modern healthcare is the most complex ecosystem there is, at least in the United States. And so, when we think about it, you know, I, I one of the things I've come to believe, Kristen, is that. If I deconstruct and and you know now having been privileged to watch a lot of surgeries and be around a lot of of the the great minds in modern healthcare, I believe that the future of world class care is not in the regulatory environment. It's not in policy or technology. It's in building high performing teams, and the reason for that. And, and this is, I'm sure, something we can dig into more. But. Just, just generally, if if one is an observer to the world of healthcare, there is a massive focus, for good reason, on technical skill and on the technical side of medicine, whether that's in surgery or you know in diagnosis. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a team endeavor, and it's an endeavor where people come together in high-pressure circumstances to to take care of people. Uh, and one of my humble critiques is that medicine doesn't focus on developing that team. So most of the things that we hear and see as solutions are external uh, or they're focused, again, in policy and technology. And so we believe that the way you start to really change healthcare is from within by focusing on the most important asset, and that's the, the frontline caregiver.
1: So, Brian, can, can you give us just some examples of, like, what does that look like practically? You know, when we talk about kind of transforming potentially these environments, you know, what does that look like at a, on a practical level?
2: So just like in, in any discipline, whether someone's an athlete, uh, whether they're in the military, there, there tends to be this, you know, there's, there's the person on the front lines uh, and the front lines of healthcare are your, that right now the, the nurses and physicians and technicians treating COVID patients and ICUs and ERs uh, in sports, that's the, the woman or man on the field, so to speak. Uh, and, and there ends up, that there's, you know, beyond the front line, then there are people who are decision makers and are grappling with everything from strategy to budgeting and so, it, when we think about high-performance medicine, the, the, the entire vision has been built around bringing the same tools and technology and training that is used in other high-pressure, high-performing disciplines into healthcare. And so, what I mean by that is, you know, if you think about someone that comes out of the world of special operations, that could have been a Green Beret, an Navy SEAL… Uh, they could have been you know, any part of the uh, the military as a fighter pilot, et cetera, or they were an athlete, or maybe they're someone who performs on stage for Cirque du Soleil every night. All of those people, because their work by nature is demanding and high stakes and comes with pressure and stress, there's a massive amount of resources that go into training those first those individuals how to manage stress, and then the teams, not only how to manage stress, but how to navigate stress and uncertainty in times of crisis. Um, or frankly, in, in times of homeostasis, how do you build great teams? And so in healthcare, the, the the very practical tactical level in the front line, what Arena Labs does is focus on making those tools available, accessible, and most importantly, highlighting the value that they can bring to a young nurse or physician or technician. And you know, most of our work right now is in surgical teams, but this applies, frankly, to, to anyone in a clinical environment.
1: It seems so obvious, right? That that you'd want to give um, any individual who's in a high-stake environment the the tools to be able to cope with the stressors that are going to come with that type of work. And I know you're really passionate about um, trying to solve the burnout and frontline healthcare workers and surgeons. You know, how do you see the the work that Arena is doing as kind of a, a pivotal? bridge, um, to, to try to solve some of these issues. Um, cause frankly, the, the is are, are a bit staggering, staggering, um, and heartbreaking really when you look at just the, I guess, I guess just the stress, you know, that, that these folks are under and, um, again, under resourced, but how do you think about the work that you're doing and as it relates to this, um, this kind of national epidemic really?
2: Yeah. For, for maybe additional context for those who aren't familiar with healthcare. I mean, these are things that I've learned in my own journey, but, um, you know that that one of the the many let's you know not to be melodramatic about it, but crises that's happening right now in healthcare and and frankly that has been massively elevated uh, by the COVID pandemic is that of burnout. And and put simply, you know, there's a number of reasons for burnout, and there's a number of different symptoms depending on you know what clinical studies you read. But it's it's the point at which someone who's been under an extraordinary amount of stress or you know in in their own field starts to lose. That focus and passion and, and that manifests itself in different ways. But what, you know, the concern that that really uh, that brings to healthcare is number one, turnover, people who frankly are just you know, no longer want to do this work and and want to go do something else. And then the second equally important, if not more, is that of patient safety. Um, because when someone isn't as focused and and they're tired and they're burned out, they, they can't be in obviously a peak state to to deliver healthcare services. Most people, so so when you look at burnout, you know, I think that the most recent studies it's approaching 50% of physicians report a symptom of burnout. And that can be, you know, anything from uh, at the mental level and inability, inability to focus to at the physiological level, you start to see people have endocrine dysfunction, fat retention, sleep disturbance. But at the end of the day and all of, of the data that's gathered, one of the things that's, that, that I find amazing is when people, even though you will hear leaders in healthcare talk about burnout is one of their number one challenges, the only real metrics they have are self-reported surveys. And by nature of a self-reported survey, that means that you know, we're already being reactive. This is something that's already happened. Someone either is reporting symptoms of burnout or they're actually reporting that they're burned out. In either case, that's a very big deal for an institution and for the teams that that person serves on. Um, And so if you think about one of the things at Arena, we constantly we're grappling with is how do we get upstream of that and start to get better data that can point leaders and administrators and hospitals to a better understanding of their teams and where they stand at any moment in time. If you think about right now what's going on in COVID, most hospitals, they could tell you they they know that either they're a place like New York that was significantly impacted by volume and stress, and so they they know there was a very real impact, but they probably can't measure that physiologically in terms of data on individual frontline caregivers or they were a place that was bracing for that impact and sort of had this chronic stress and nervousness hanging around but it never quite had the same volume they they might have anticipated in a place like New York. And so in both of those instances there's this real this real impact that's not measured um, and you know that's that's obviously where it started to make a lot of sense for us as you know you and I met and started exploring how whoop could be put on frontline teams and bring that data to life. Uh, I think it's, it's the type of solution that's ultimately going to give the level of visibility and understanding and proactive posture that hospitals really need to deal with burnout.
1: Yeah. And how, what's your take on just how it's been received and, um, cause it really is a, a different, a completely different way of, of thinking for, for folks, mm-hmm. um, you know, in your view, what has been the the reception?
2: One of the things I realized is that until someone has data, their own data they can look at and see where they're deficient or the fact that they haven't slept and they're chronically under rested, right. it's really hard to convince them. And so we were doing work with this, this team of residents and uh, they, the two, two things happened. One is I started to see them engaging around the language of performance in a very different way because they were making the connection that the, the, At the end of the day, performance isn't magic. It's understanding yourself mentally and physically and how to constantly develop to a higher level of health and focus so that you can be at your best. Uh, The other thing that happened is there there was, I think, 15 residents in this group, this cohort, and they had all come in on a Friday, and their recovery scores were all red. I mean, they were to a person with the exception of one; they were they were all under recovered. And so, as a joke, the person on our team leading that conversation said, "Hey, did what happened Thursday night?" Uh, and there was sort of laughter. And as it turned out, they had had a celebration for their residency. They had had a speaker come in, and they they all went out and enjoyed drinks together, which is great. What What was fascinating is no one was aware that they here you had. Fifteen residents come in to an organization where they're they're a massive part of how that organization functions, and they were all in a state of you know un- being underslept, poor recovery, and probably cognitively not nearly uh, at their peak. And so this it, it just made it clear to me like these are the types of dashboards that every hospital should have, so they can be smarter about how they staff, develop, and and ultimately you know, keep their teams at their best.
1: We've got a, a quite a massive study that. Is currently being spun up, and we—I guess—we probably can't call out exactly who we're working with. But do you want to talk a little bit, Brian, about about that study and and how it's going to help kind of answer some of the, the questions that we're we're posing around uh, just around burnout and this this concept of readiness and and being proactive as opposed to reactive. And yeah, just would love to kind of for you to share with our listeners the study and and what the aims are and what we're hoping to learn.
2: Absolutely. So you know, over the the last six months for context for listeners as, as we've explored WHOOP and, and started to see how do we take uh, the, the data capabilities of WHOOP and begin to integrate them for better insights and more importantly, probably seeing blind spots in healthcare. Um, we partnered with a, a, a very well-known large hospital in the U.S. to put WHOOPs on 500 frontline staff. And the, the reason for that is twofold. So one is obviously everyone on listening is familiar with the pioneering work that WHOOP has done around COVID and, and respiratory rate. And so one of the ideas is as flu season approaches, as COVID continues to be a major concern, this is a way to get data around COVID and, and frontline caregivers. Uh, but uh, what I will continue to argue argue is that the far more exciting and, and valuable insights will come from the second-order value, which is understanding at scale, so 500 frontline caregivers, understanding at scale what stress looks like during a pandemic. Because you know, if, if we just look at the way the world is evolving, and, and no matter where we work, whether we're in business, whether in medicine, the military – The world feels more dynamic and more stressful. And so if we can start to understand what stress looks like, particularly in a time of crisis, in this case, a pandemic, again, it can give us far better insights, particularly hospitals and how to resource, how to train people and how to give folks a release valve. I mean, we're, you know, I mean, you and I kind of kid around, We, we can't tell a medical team to go take a nap. Um, but we can think about the way we can help them think about the way they staff and the way that they give people breaks who've been through very intense periods of high pressure work, uh, just like athletes do, just like the military now does.
1: You know, you talk about just the intensity of, of these environments, and um, I guess I just wonder, you know, is it is it possible to, to make someone be able to handle those demands? mentally and, f- and physically without the the long-term costs of of that type of training
2: I mean the short answer is I think the data will shows us right now that it doesn't work um, right. and, and frankly that's probably one of the framing reasons that we're having this conversation of, of the challenges healthcare is having right now and why that that feeling is elevated. I mean, I, the, the Mayo Clinic in 2014, Tate Shanafelt ran this, um, ran a, a study of burnout. And and one of the things they found is the, you know, 28, if you just look across the population in general, whether someone's in business or depending what they do, 28% of people report burnout in medicine, that's 38%. Now that's of physicians, but, but either way that those numbers are going up. And I would posit that one of the reasons for that is that, People in modern healthcare are being, number one, they're being asked to do more with less. Right. There more is being put on their plate. And, and much of that is, it's, it's acute sickness. It's people who, you know, and, and right now you look at what's happening in COVID and then the second order effects of people who've stayed home and now are showing up when they should have been there six months ago and they're even sicker. Yeah. And so for people who have a true sense of service in the world and they want to help, there's a psycho, there's a psychosomatic toll that takes on your body of feeling that stress. So um, I don't believe it. Now, I, I think it's really important. And we talk about this all the time at arena, being in healthcare, particularly in, in demanding very sick or acute environments, that's not for everyone. And there needs to be a selection process. It's why the military is a selection process. It's why high level athletic teams do, because you have to show that you do have the ability to technically perform at the level required of you. And as not, if not more important, perform as an individual and a teammate in a very high stress demanding environment. So that's why residency and, and you know a lot of the training that nurses go through is so important. The question is, why not then and start, start to invest just as aggressively in the tools that allow that person once they're trained to have a, a career that is longitudinally both healthy and, and full of the resources that allow them to continue to improve and get better.
1: Brian, is it is it actually possible for someone to be world-class in healthcare and have a kind of long, healthy life?
2: I think the data, so so two, two parts of this. One, as I mentioned earlier, the data right now would suggest it's increasingly hard to do that if we're using burnout as an indicator. Uh, the other side of that is anecdotally the amount of nurses and physicians we've interacted with who will privately tell us how daunting their craft is and what a toll it's taking on them that I I feel like those numbers are, I I don't know that I can say they're growing, but I say that they're, they're more prevalent than I would have expected. What I think is fascinating and is not talked about enough in the conversation about healthcare. So, so we use the term at arena labs, the sacred world of medicine and One of my favorite images, I know you've seen this, Kristen, and we've talked about it with your team, but one of my favorite images is the 1987 National Geographic photo of the year. We can maybe put a link in our notes here, but um, for those who are listening, it's this, this iconic photo taken in an operating room in Poland. And the surgeon, Dr. Religa, it was the first heart transplant ever conducted in the Eastern Bloc. So think 1987, the state of technology. This was said to be impossible. It was also very difficult to do in Poland at the time. And so the surgery takes 23 hours and there's this incredibly inspiring, beautiful photograph in which when you look at the, 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 physical being of the surgeon, you can tell that he's absolutely exhausted. And you look in the back corner of the room and the nurse who has devoted herself so intensely to this procedure, she's literally collapsed and sleeping in the back corner of the room. And then I always, I ask folks to look at the eyes of the surgeon and so when you look in his eyes, you can see him almost willing that patient to stay alive. And so we, we, when we think about that image and everything it represents, we call it the sacred world of medicine. And what is incredibly powerful that I personally don't think is leveraged enough is that when people go into medicine, they do it again because they want to save lives, they'll do something hard. And they, they have a deeply uh, spiritual reason almost for wanting to contribute to the world. And they get into this very high tempo Uh, high-stakes environment that can be unforgiving. And what I think is not protected enough against is that these are very capable men and women, Uh, but without the resources that what we're seeing is statistically people are burning out. And when someone is in a craft where they're not motivated just by financial outcomes or maybe, you know, at the end of the day, what people in medicine are motivated by is an ethos that transcends their own being. It's they come to work because they believe in something bigger than themselves. That is incredibly powerful. But as leaders, if you don't protect against that and offer those people resources to protect against their own inclination to overwork and go too hard because they believe so much, we see what happened. This is the story of the American military in the last 20 years. You have young men and women who devoted their lives to something bigger. And it, it came at a high cost. And so I think we're seeing that play out in healthcare right now, and and so there the, there are world class people and they're burning out. But I, I, it's not a simple solution. It it requires a lot of time and cultural change. But if you bring the things that we've learned in other disciplines and those tools, giving you know teaching people how to meditate, teaching people mental toughness tools like self talk, you know the, the visualization, those things go a long way. Uh, and personally, I think that's how you 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 allow both of those things to coexist being world-class and, and having a flourishing, long career.
1: Brian, so when we think about just the future of of technology, uh, I'd love to hear you talk about hybrid teams, humans and robots, and and what that looks like in the future of healthcare.
2: One of the things that we started to see a lot as we were spending, our teams were, were spending time embedded in operating rooms and with frontline teams around the country is that there's this natural evolution in healthcare that it, it's always been happening. It just feels more intense today. And that's that you're starting to see robotics and minim- minimally invasive procedures become more commonplace. Uh, and on top of that is, you know, artificial intelligence platforms, these advanced technology tools that are amplifying the clinical environment in, in one way or another. And that's great. What's challenging about that is that when you start to see technology show up it, the technology itself is actually changing the environment. And what that means is that the human system has to evolve. And if the human system doesn't evolve, you get this real friction between this advanced technology, whether it's a robot or artificial intelligence, and the way that team is trained. So if we step back, and the example I love to use is roughly 2001, 2002 is when the first drone showed up on the battlefield it was used at the time by the central intelligence agency the cia and whatever one thinks about the drones politic about drones politically they enabled a far more precise form of warfare that saved lives and in order to use drones effectively though as they became more commonplace and started being used by ground units in the army and the navy and special operations that in order to leverage a teammate in the sky that was a robot whether that was for intelligence or insights or making smarter more precise decisions. In order to do that, the human system on the ground actually had to train differently. That system had to learn how do we talk to that robot in the sky? How do we pull the right information so that we make better decisions? That's an easy statement to make, but it's actually a really challenging solution to employ when we start talking about the way that we train and deploy teams. In healthcare right now, I think what we see is that if, as an example, if a hospital starts a robotic heart surgery, or just, excuse me, not heart surgery, but a robotic program where, where they're doing surgery in a way that is no longer traditional, there's often friction points there. And if if those friction points become too much, it's not uncommon for that program to be abandoned because they can go back to the old way of doing things. Um, so the military had the forcing function of they they had to evolve. Um, but one of the things that I, I think is fascinating that in the military aviation community, a friend of mine was uh, one of the early test pilots in the F-35 platform. And, and that's the um, you know an, an advanced uh, fighter jet, essentially. And so one of the stories he tells is that the first time he flew that platform, the helmet he was wearing had a whole bunch of augmented reality data that was put on the inside of his helmet. So when he was looking out the visor, and into the cockpit, he, he had a whole bunch of data, not only in the cockpit, but inside his visor. Uh, and it was so much so that it was distracting that he couldn't focus. He was literally overloaded. He was cognitively overloaded. Wow. Um, at what point is too much information not effective? Or when does it become too much? And how do we think about what really matters? Because as medicine continues to evolve, there's no shortage of machines and technologies and platforms that can be put into an operating room or given to a team. And so this is where at the higher level, why we step back and say, okay, what are the first principles of high performance in the operating room? How do we make this team their best and think about the technology that can amplify the team in the right ways and then train people so that when they come in, they understand how to use that technology and they can evolve with it rather yeah. than focusing just on the technology as the solution and end up frustrating or, or leaving that team overwhelmed.
1: All right. So I know we're coming up here on time, so I want to make sure I get to ask you just a few questions. Questions and these are just kind of fun. But um, if you have a favorite quote, what is it, and why is it your favorite?
2: I keep a running list of quotes. I've been doing this since I was like sixteen, and there are there are too many here. I think if the the one that right now is at the top of my list, this is from a young man who I believe passed away in Vietnam, John Alexander Hoddle. He went to West Point. He was a Rhodes Scholar, um, and so. He had, he had written this uh, before, he had, uh, b- before he passed away. And it's, it's a quote about his service. He says, we all have but one death to spend. And insofar as it can have any meaning, it finds it in the service of comrades in arms. And yet I deny that I died for anything, not my country, not my army, not my fellow man, none of these things. I lived for these things. And the manner in which I chose to do it involved the very real chance that I would die in the execution of my duties. I knew this and I accepted it, but my love for West Point and army was great enough. And the promise that I would someday be able to serve all the ideals that meant anything to me through it was great enough for me to accept this possibility as a part of a price, which must be paid for all things of great value. If there is nothing worth dying for in this sense, there's nothing worth living for. I lived a full life in the army and it has exacted the price. It is only just. For me, that captures the spirit of of service. I, you know, you hear that, and it it can. Uh, it's certainly reminiscent of military service. But it's one of the reasons again that I I always feel very honored to be around people in healthcare because many of these people believe in what they're doing so much so that they would give their life for it. Um, and we frankly have seen that in some cases in the way that people have approached COVID and chosen to show up. Um, and I just think that is, that is the spirit that brings hope. That's a spirit that changes the way people see the world. And, uh, so that always brings me energy when I read it.
1: Oh my gosh. So beautiful. In two sentences or less, if there was one thing that you could say that you knew the whole world would hear and see, what would it be?
2: When I think about advice, I don't know that I've got a lot, but I try to think about the context of the world. And I think, um, I think given the state of the world, this may sound uh, either naive or like I'm, you know, that that I'm missing the fact that there's a lot of hard things going on in the world, but I actually, I deeply believe there's never been a better time to be alive. And and so for me, if I thought about a quote, it's, there's never been a better time to be alive, Mm. be better every day. And that for me, the be better every day has kind of been my own mantra. And I, you know, when, when you initially hear that, people think it's like this sort of this cycle of um, constantly pushing yourself or it can, it can get caught up in a, in a set of things that aren't productive. But I actually think about it as be a better man, be uh, a better family member, be a better member in society. And, and that simple mantra for me just opens up a, a mindset each day of, I think, being humble to learn and listen and engage and, and frankly, just do my part. Um, and when I think of the possibilities of the world, there's a ton of noise right now. Uh, there's a lot of things that certainly bring someone, uh, for good reason, a, a sense of cynicism. Uh, yeah. But when I think about the possibilities that uh, allow, you know, through a connected world and and advancing technology, there's certainly drawbacks. But I really believe there's never been a better time to be alive. And and so if you go in with that mindset of being a little better every day, I I, I find it's just a it's a way to constantly feel the humility of that possibility.
1: It's just like a a great way to kind of get you in this mindset too, where you're just thinking about being, you know, just, you're grateful, right? Like we we just, there's so much possibility uh, ahead um, for all of us. And I think to approach it with that framework is really powerful. It's amazing. Brian, thank you so much for the work that you and your team are doing to, to understand and support humans and teams. You are making such a difference. And, um, you know, really changing the the course of healthcare. So excited to, to continue to follow your work and love that, you know, Woop and ARENA can continue to collaborate. Yeah, we'll keep everyone posted on on some of the progress of the studies that we're, we're in, and we'll make sure that you guys are up to speed on all of the, the good things happening with ARENA and um, and the collaborations uh, in the future.
2: Yeah, Christine, well what goes without saying, uh, really grateful for the partnership here, the way that you've pressed us to think and the way this has evolved and, and ultimately what it's led to is a, a smarter way for us to think about our work. And at the end of the day, I think we've, we've both agreed that pursuing the idea of becoming the, the largest aggregator of data for frontline teams as it relates to stress is, is something that would really allow healthcare to, to advance and move forward. And the way you've driven that and, and given us some really interesting we're we're grateful for, so thanks for having me.
0: Thank you to Brian and Kristen for being on the Whoop podcast. A reminder, you can use the code Will Ahmed, W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D to get 15% off a Whoop membership, which includes the Whoop Strap 3.0. You can follow us on social at Whoop, at Will Ahmed, and stay healthy, folks.